everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. This week, we're, we're going to get it out of the way really quick. We can't ignore it, and that's the news of the weekend and everything that has happened in Paris. And there's a lot of rumors and speculations and theories as to why some we agree with, some we don't, and we're not going to say which we think in either way. But I do think it is important to say that our our hearts and our thoughts and our prayers go out to the victims and the people of Paris and France and all everything that has happened. Well, and in addition, the greater tragedies that have happened around the world, including Beirut yeah. and, and the other ones that have happened this week, it's not been a good week. It's not been a good few weeks. Yeah. But we, we did have to acknowledge it. We're just not going to dwell on it. Well, that wouldn't be us. We don't do well. (laughs) You know, we are going to go back and revisit. We have a follow-up to a story from much, much earlier this year. Okay. This was like in the off-season, wasn't it? Pretty close to it. Um, As you recall, Red Bull is not, and I don't know if they still do this now after what has happened, but Red Bull was very proud of the fact that If you wanted to come to the plant and see all of their trophies as a member of the general public, you could come right on down and do that. Mm -hmm. They had a very – and I didn't realize that's how they made this happen. I thought you could actually, like, walk into at least the lobby, like the McLaren Technical Center, and this was our big – but they didn't quite do that. Basically, they put a big, I guess, multi-story trophy rack in the foyer. Okay. So that you could come into the foyer. I mean, it wasn't quite as welcoming, but still, you could see their trophies, which yeah. was kind of cool. Up until four gentlemen ruined it for the rest of us. Well, of course. You may recall that um, they drove a SUV into the foyer of the factory and the trophy case at uh, Milton Kynes and stole a lot of the trophies. Um, an estimate of between, well, about 930, oh, no, I'm sorry. This is their other raids that they've been doing because these guys are career criminals. <laughs> um, oh, you've got to hear the story of all the things that they did. They took 60 trophies, some of which, about 20 of them, were recorded were uh, recovered from Horseshoe Lake, which is near Sandhurst in Surrey, about 10 days after the theft. And no. not all of the trophies that they took were the real trophies. They had some replicas in there, too, weren't they? There, there was that. Also, while many of the, those that were taken were damaged, um, the stolen items did not include any of the F1 championships or constructors' trophies. Ah. They were not at the factory. But these guys have done quite a bit more. Um, they carried out nearly 40 burglaries and thefts across the south of England between November last year and April, including the theft of cash machines at the Atrium Shopping Center in Camberley and Mercedes-Benz World in Weybridge. Can we go to Mercedes-Benz World? I don't think it is what you think it is. I don't know. Um, but when three of the gang were arrested at a farm in Sherlock Row in Berkshire, the police recovered gas cylinders, fireworks, remote ignition devices, and wiring, which they had used to attempt to blow open the machines. Um, these men put others and themselves at risk in their chaotic and dangerous attempts to access cash machines, said Detective Constable Matt Earl. Um, this was a, these guys were really kind of organized in what they did, and it just... 
Red Bull seems to have gotten caught in the crossfire of their ring. Maybe they went looking for a cash machine in the foyer and, and grabbed trophies instead. I don't know. Maybe they were really upset with Red Bull. Maybe this was, you know, their Magna Carta. I don't know. Their declaration of, of why they did what they did. I don't know. Well, the four had pleaded guilty to conspiracy charges at Guilford Crown Court, and their sentences range from two years to seven years. Doesn't seem like very much for quite that much theft. It doesn't for these punks. Um, their their reign of terror, their reign of crime. There we go. Mm. Um, they racked up an estimated nine hundred thirty-four thousand pounds of cash and damage uh, in the area of three hundred and seventeen thousand pounds. Wow, that's significant of money. Yeah, it really is. But. The trophy theft has been solved, and the criminals, the crims are locked up in your neighborhood. Something like that. <laughs> Crikey, it's the Rosers, yes. yes. <laughs> so The police. Yes. The doo-doo-doos and the da-da-das. Exactly. Because <laughs> in prison, nobody can hear you scream. <laughs> prison and space were so much alike yeah anyway so we've heard rumblings about um the poor financial results in austin right we talked about that last week yes well we've gotten a little more info as to what is going on and honestly it doesn't look good what's going on well what has happened among other things besides the rain and all the other stuff is that the state of Texas, as, as part of the deal to get the race, agreed to give, and I don't know whether it's CODA got this. Actually, it, it was CODA, who was supposed to get from the state of Texas um, $25 million a year. 2012, 2013, and 2014, the state paid them this amount. This current year, for 2015, the state of Texas redid the calculation as to the amount of economic benefit that the race brought to the state and brought that payment down from $25 million to $19.5 million. Wow. It's about a 20% drop in how much money. Because of that, it does not look like they are going to be able to pay um, Bernie's extortion fees. Ooh, and you know how Bernie loves it when people don't pay his extortion fees. Yes. Um, the chairman and CEO of, uh, yeah, chairman of Circuit of the Americas, Bobby Epstein, has said his exact words here, quote, to use a technical term, I think we're screwed. Ouch. His exact words. Ouch. But see, Bernie came out some time ago, and said that he believed that the governments of where he wants these races to be has to cough up money to be to have them. And yet, he does not seem to understand why these governments suddenly turn around and go, we can't afford to continue to do it. Weren't you the one that told well, me that pretty much all of the government-funded tracks all wind up in some sort of issue with very few exceptions, right? Um, 
it's getting close to that. I mean, that, that's been an issue with Germany. It's been an issue with Monza. It's about to be an issue with Texas. And the issue with Texas is even greater than that. Um, they built that facility. And part of the reason for building that purpose-built facility for F1 up to F1 standards was because they were going to get this money from the state of Texas and going to get it for something like five or six years. But Turkey's another one that, I mean, just about every single race, short of Bahrain and a couple of, and China's another one, um, that is relying on government money. At some point, that money dries up. Well, that's the thing is that we, I don't think Bernie, nece- well, he doesn't care. I, don't, I won't say that he doesn't get it. He doesn't care that governments need to look at whether or not this single event is beneficial to the government themselves. Does it bring in enough revenue to offset the expenditure? And being fiscally responsible is a requirement of that. It should be. But again, you know, let's look at the reason why Bernie does what he does. Bernie's feeling is, again, that F1 is a premium product and that he has a right, not that there is a need, but he has a right to charge premium prices. And he's right to a point. There you go. And Okay. Economics 101 tells us that the laws of supply and demand will always apply. Mm -hmm. And Bernie is trying to use the laws of supply and demand to drive his pricing. Mm -hmm. The problem that he is failing to understand is that he has decided unilaterally that with his premium product that his supply, the number of races offered in a given year, is going to drive a demand of price that increases every year as part of his contract. Uh, You know, I don't even think it's so much that. I think it's more along the lines of all of these deals that he is cutting Mm -hmm. and his entire focus isn't long-term, it's short-term. That's because he's 900 years old. It, It... Without even taking that into account, his approach outside of the original purchase of the rights for all of the marketing and everything around Formula One is extremely short-sighted. And not just when it comes to hosting the races, but it goes back to last year and Bernie's comments about the only people that he wants to – that that he really cares about coming to the race are the older folks with the disposable income. He's not looking to build a legacy. He's not looking to build a legacy at any track. He's not looking to build a legacy within his fan base. It is who can pay me now. That is all he's interested in. And I go back and hold that one of the reasons that Bernie is that short-sighted is because he is old. It could be, but I don't think it completely is. I think that your point that is prime is that he's not looking to build a legacy. Whether he is in denial that he will not be running the show forever and ever and ever, or he realizes that he is mortal and has nothing necessarily to pass on. But he is not 
investing with a long-term future in mind. No. It is all about the here and the now, and we're trying to correct problems that may or may not even exist in reality. We manufacture issues to then correct them in such a way that is only about right now. We're not looking at the future of F1, despite the number of times he talks about, oh, well, long-term future. No, it's not. It is about what track will give him money today, Mm -hmm. what team will give him money today, what team and tracks support the Bernie view of the Bernie world. Yeah. Which plays into exactly why the man doesn't believe that bribery is a problem. I mean, it's that kind of worldview that says things are only wrong if I say that they are wrong. And things are right when I'm paid enough to make them right. Or he thinks that it's going to diminish the amount of money he can pull in in the short term. Great. I mean, that's the issue with Red Bull and the engines, and we'll talk about those later, but because he views that that cash cow is under threat now, he's looking to make changes. Correct. Okay, so other news. Engines? No. Okay. Well, not there. Um, For starters, um, Graham Loudon has, in fact, confirmed that he is leaving Manor. Mm-hmm. However, he will not say why the change. Well, he said to BBC that his reasons are being kept within the team. Best left within the team. Right. Yes. Um, there's that. He's also, uh, he was asked pretty, well, he was asked point blank if he intended on remaining within Formula One and being involved. Most of his answers Outside of that one question, seemed to indicate that he did not expect to be maintaining within a sport. However, he did turn around and say that he would be, or he, he was hoping to be, and he was looking for other opportunities outside of a team principal role. Um, he also said that he was not going to be replaced directly. It was going to be a different role within the team that somebody would be filling. It was confusing to me. It was. I I will tell you that. Because I understood that he had promised the team that he was not actively looking for another role within F1, but that he felt like his time in F1 was not done. That was my understanding of what he said. Now, coming behind, and and we we got a hint that something was going on. If you listen to the NBC coverage, I think it was pre-qualifying. They spoke to Tavo Hellman. Tavo Hellman, if you're not familiar with him, um, besides having great gobs of money, um, he was involved in bringing the race to Texas. Is he and the he Mexican American that? Yes. Brought it back. It was the two races. Yes. Okay. For, first was Austin. He had a falling out with management at Circuit of the Americas, and we'd gone within a year after the race started. And now he's brought back um, Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And he has said that he is working on a project of some sort involving F1 in the U.S. and possibly an investment in the team. We now know that a group being led by Tavo Hellman is taking a look at at, uh, taking over Manor. Really? Yes. I was unaware of that, and especially of the Tavo connection to Manor. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Now... 
Hellman believes that the deal can be done with current owner Stephen Fitzpatrick, who, as we all know, was instrumental in bringing the team back from the dead. Um, but as far as Hellman is concerned, the clock is ticking. Uh, he's already told the Austin American, Austin American statesman that uh, if we get to late January or February, it may be too late, and my partners and I would probably lose interest. So this is something that has got to happen. Um, Hellman has laid down conditions that the uh, power unit deal with Mercedes from next year remains in place, and the team's financial position must be vetted and confirmed. Interesting. So he thinks that the team could be run sensibly, and they could they 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 wouldn't be to compete with the the manufacturers teams, but they could be successful to some degree. Interesting. I'm wondering if that's brought on by the increase. Um, forecast that Haas will be doing very well and he could get his feet in with an established team that's got a history that's already going to be pulling in money because would we not be past the number of years where you can't get any money um Manor? 2017 I think would be when it would kick in my understanding okay so you know who's been really chatty this weekend? And I guess, considering what happened at qualifying, it kind of makes sense that he's a little chatty this weekend. But that would be one Fernando Alonso. Oh, is he complaining about his team yet again? Well, he says that it's really unfortunate for McLaren that the season is coming to an end. Why is it unfortunate? I thought that they would be very happy that the season was over and they could go cry in their soup. Well, the problem is, is that when the season, once the season ends... There's no more running that car until preseason testing for 2016. Mm -hmm. And essentially, this season, I mean, the best way to describe it is one long test session for them. It's been the shittiest test session ever. Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> because if you look at it from the perspective of we need to gain knowledge about what works and what doesn't work and position on the grid doesn't matter. They have found out a lot about what doesn't work. <laughs> True. Whether they found out enough about what doesn't work, we don't know yet. But they have found out a lot about what doesn't work. And from the perspective of you might as well just write the season off on a competitive level, yeah, it's a shame that they're running out of that free testing pass. Well, okay, yes, except for let's go back to the fact of they have yet to figure out what does work and actually apply it. But they know what the problem is. Well. The problem is they know they have a problem. Okay. To it, quote Mayor Frank Jackson of Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> denial is the first step. <laughs> it's not denial. That's acknowledgement. They have acknowledged that they have a problem. And right. that it is that a is, problem. That, that is the first step in a 12-step program is yeah. I acknowledge that I am powerless. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so obviously McLaren is entering their 12-step program and their practice for the entire testing season of 2015 has not gone well. I, I think before you can say it hasn't gone well, we have to see what happens in that 2016 test. Again, okay. they, have, they have gotten all this data about what not to do. Now, in the off-season, as the, the whole upgrade points, tokens, things flip around a bit, 
they can make some pretty significant changes to the engine that they cannot do during the season because they would use up their points and tokens and you know you and you end up starting the race in melbourne and you're already in old brazil you know you got to work with that well i understand all of that fun except for we get down to they've only had 27 points this season yeah that is really bad do you realize that the only people that they're beating on the entire grid is manor marusha Sauber is beating McLaren this year. Mm-hmm. Where where this is really going to be an issue, and and I gotta wonder if McLaren has a clause in the contract to cover this, mm. because this is a massive hit to the amount of prize money that they're going to get next year. So is there a clause potentially within the contract with Honda? that says that if your engine is this bad and we we go back, you know, X number of places on the grid because of it, that you need to give us, there needs to be financial compensation. I don't know if anybody would have thought to write a contract like that. I mean, think about it. You don't go into a contract going, well, what happens if your engine is bad? Because... In theory, it's a, a partnership, and Honda's just going to turn around and say, it's not just us, it's you. Yeah. You know, this marriage takes two people, and you're not holding up your end of the bargain. And McLaren's going to go, but you're not holding up your end of the bargain. And they're in marriage counseling. No, that was Renault and, and Red Bull, remember? We heard that from Christian Hort, his exact words. Well, I understand to that. And I think that they are currently in reconciliation counseling. Yeah. Hey, you know what else Alonzo has come out and said? He'll bring speaking, sunscreen to Brazil next year. No, he has said that the the engine supply issues that Red Bull is having, that's not McLaren's problem. Well, I'm You glad are he's on your own, people. <laughs> I'm glad he sees that that's not McLaren's problem. Once again... To, I don't know, we're not really quoting the New York Post, but we are paraphrasing the New York Post. Alonzo to Red Bull, screw you. Oh, Oh, excuse me, Alonzo to Red Bull, drop dead. That was the quote. Okay. 1970-something, Ford to New York City, drop dead. Mm. Because they went bankrupt and he refused to give them money. Okay. Very famous... uh, uh, front page, cover page in the New York Post. It can't be that famous. I've never heard of it. I'll have to show it to you later. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so yes, Fernando Alonso has told Red Bull when it comes to the engines, drop dead. Okay. But speaking of the engines and Let's the situation, it. it we are now at the point where it is. It's the final countdown. Because if Red Bull doesn't figure it out. Okay, I have a prediction. I I have a theory. My newest theory. Is this different from last week's? Because actually, I've got a follow-up to last week's. Well, wait. Okay. We know that Christian Horner has said, okay, 
a few weeks ago, Bernie said it's sorted, mm-hmm. and he hadn't told Red Bull how it's sorted yet. Now Christian has said that they have a plan, mm-hmm. and they're going forward with their plan, but they're not sharing their plan. Because there's still water that has to go under the bridge. Yeah, water's still going under a bridge well, somewhere. Yeah, I, Possibly I they're know. building that bridge somewhere. Over the River Kwai? Oh, yes. However, here's my current theory. We need someone to check the Formula One regulations. Okay. Is it a requirement that the car have an engine? Yes. It has to be a gas hybrid engine, right? Mm-hmm. Does that say how, what kind of gas or V6 what kind of hybrid? turbo hybrid. Okay. So here's my theory. And there are restrictions on the fuel that they can use. Okay. Here's my theory. Next year, Red Bull is going to run a car that has all of the engineers from their uh, pit crew running the little belts and whistles inside the engine. It will be a hybrid engine, but it will be a different kind of hybrid. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that... Maybe they'll have the mechanics push it. I'm pretty sure that engineers is not a legal power source. Well, hamsters and engineers, it's hybrid after all. Anyway, to go back and... You know, last week you said that your theory, mm-hmm. and as we have seen more come about, you have said that your theory was that this is, in fact, sorted. Yeah. Horner knows it's sorted. Red Bull knows it's sorted. Everybody knows that it is sorted, but they are deliberately not saying anything because they want to keep the churn going. I they want to so. keep the attention going. Based on Christian Horner's comments this week, Yes. Which started with basically, well, we're going to race in 2016. We're still trying to sort it out. Can't tell you what the detail. Can't tell. Based on those comments, I think you're probably right. I think, I think that, yes, they are at this point deliberately stringing it along. They know what the deal is. They know what the plan is. Either that or it's just like they thought everything was going to be back in June, whether it was with Mercedes or Ferrari, they are really, really close to getting this solved. And they have finally figured out that until the names are on the paper, shut the hell up. Okay, that would be the single most stunning thing that ever came out of the situation, (laughs) was that they'd learn to keep their mouth shut until names are on paper. However, I think we all need to back up for a minute and write this date down on a piece of paper. Possibly post it on the wall. I may have to have it painted in our living room that Michael has said he thinks I am right. Don't get used to it. As a matter of fact, I'm so this not episode, used to it. I'm stunned to not near only silence. That, but this episode will not get archived. So you cannot bring it back in the future. <gasps> oh, we will so have to archive <laughs> this. We'll have to take that. I think you are right. Multiple times and possibly interject it as many times as you've interjected the put the hammer down and it's hit strap mode three. Don't ask questions. Yeah, okay. So. So I'm right. You, I think you might be. For might that be what? One thing, on that one thing. Might be what? On that one. About that <laughs> one topic. You might be right about the one <gasps> topic and one topic only. <laughs> My day is made. Good, moving on. Because we're not done with engines yet. Ugh. So, the FIA, in particular, FIA President Jean Todd, he has come out and he has said, you know, 
looking back now, maybe some things were said when it comes to the engines. Mistakes might have been made. We might not have done some things as well as we should have. We probably could have done a couple things better. Yeah. Would you like to know what he thinks that they did wrong? Oh, please, enlighten me. There are two things that he has called out that when it comes to the engines, they, they, they did wrong this time. Okay. Do you, do you want to guess? Uh, changed them? Nope. Um... What, what he says is that the mistake number one, was that when it came to the cost of the engines, which are now in the area of 20 million euros, compared to the previous engines, um, which were around 8 million euros. And if you ask Toto Wolf, as they just did, Toto says that the number is actually lower than that. It depends on the partner and blah, blah, woof, woof. But it's not 20 million, despite what he says. Toto says that it's only a 20% increase. Yes. So if it was an 8 million euro engine... 20% 20% increase would be what? 1.6 million? Yeah. Ish. So, still sub 10 million. But what what Jean Todd says is that in announcing these engine requirements and 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 this is and that that was the direction that that Formula 1 was going with engines that not going and tying with that a cost cap that was mistake number 1. Okay. So engine real engine development costs be damned you could only charge people this much money. Okay. Now I believe in a V8 error they they did something similar but the difference was the FIA made up that difference. Mm-hmm. So that it wasn't a complete wash. But that's that's what he, Okay, so that's mistake number 1. Mistake number 2. He says that the FIA made a mistake in not writing into the rules that engine manufacturers must supply a minimum amount of teams if there is demand. Oh. So in other words, uh, Honda... Who only supplies one... Could be told, no, you need to supply more because somebody wants your engines. Nobody wants Honda's engines, though. Well, Red Bull was turned away because they were turned away from his big big issue him and both bernie they're all upset because basically at this point mercedes and ferrari have control Mm -hmm. they have a lot of control because their engines are working they're the only two that have competitive engines and now you have money bags red bull who can't get an engine and they're pissed right I don't agree with this one. I, I, I don't like the idea. And, and granted, he and I missed this the first time I read it. He's saying that supply a minimum number of engine or, or to a minimum number of teams if you have demand. Correct. So that means that if Red Bull says, I want a Ferrari engine, Ferrari has to give him one? Or better yet, back that up. Red Bull went to Ferrari and said, we want a Ferrari engine. And Ferrari said, okay, sure, you can have an engine. You get the 2015 engine. Mm -hmm. Which is what I understand Ferrari offered them. They offered them an engine. 
So based on that, Ferrari would have met the, the letter of this rule. So it wouldn't have resolved anything. Yeah. I think I think what he's trying to I don't know regulate is this idea that we've got two manufacturers which everybody wants their engines. Mm-hmm. I think in a way it would be almost interesting yeah I don't know almost forcing other teams the other engine suppliers to supply engines to more teams so they have more data to test their engines with well the 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 other piece that they the current rules as it stands right now is that without special dispensation from the fia a constructor can only supply three teams correct the art one of the arguments that ferrari has had is that they don't have the ability, the facilities, the, the supplies, the parts, the capability to support more teams with the current engine than they are right now. And again, bringing on Red Bull would be not one, but that would be two teams that would be four cars that need to get supplied engines as opposed to two cars that need to get supplied engines in addition to their current customer base. Correct. And I don't know if you can really count Manor as part of that current customer base since Manor's getting last year's engines. Mm-hmm. I think what would have made better sense if not only did they turn around and say, you can't supply, or, or if there's demand, you need to supply engines and let there be a bidding war between the two manufacturers, but the other thing needed to be, you can't supply last year's engines. They have to be the current year spec engines. Well, I think that they were trying to do that. I don't think Ferrari was trying to do that. Though. No, I think that that was wasn't that a, a rule here recently that they were trying to pass. It was talk, it, it was mentioned and shot down pretty quick. Right. And I don't understand why that was the plan. I think the reality is. We can play woulda, coulda, shoulda all day long and twice on Sundays, and it's still not going to get us anywhere. I think the reality is that Red Bull is a unique situation in that they have been a highly competitive car for a lot of years, Mm -hmm. and they're not a manufacturer. They're not a manufacturer, and unlike the other garage, the independent garageista teams, they are extremely well funded. So basically, Red Bull has used cash to overcome their lack of manufacturing, mm-hmm. and the other teams on the grid actually don't have that kind of positioning. So really and truly, if Bernie and Jean Todd really wanted to be honest and level the playing field, they need to level the playing field across the board. And it's not a matter of, I mean, not only is Red Bull extremely well-funded, they've had free engines, so they haven't incurred the cost that some of the other um, garage, uh, what do we call them? The customer car. Customer teams, yes. Customer teams do. So... You know, think about just, okay, let's pretend that it's a 10 million euro engine. 
let's think about what Williams could do with 10 million euro per engine mm-hmm. for the number, you know, what is it? Five engines you get through the year without your penalties. I don't think Williams has taken an engine penalty this year. Five engines times two cars is 10 engines. They've um, taken at least one gearbox penalty. Yeah, but engine penalty, the 25 mm-hmm. grid place. No, that they haven't hit. They've so only gotten a 10. 10 engines times <clears throat> 10 million euro per engine. If my math is correct, that's 100 million euro? Or is that a billion euro? Anyway. No, I don't think we're at billions, but okay. Okay, it's 100 million euro. 10 times 10 is 100. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, we're at 100 million euro. What could Williams do in their aero program, in their driver program, in their anything program with an extra 100 million euro? Oh, yeah. They could, they could have, you know, one of the things that uh, we've heard David Kothar talk about is the fact that because of Williams' budget being what it is and as tight as it, as it is, they don't have a car that is a well-balanced aero car as an all-around type of a thing. It's great on certain kinds of tracks, but on right, other kinds of tracks, they deliberately pulled that compromise back. That's why they didn't do so well in Monaco. It's why they do horribly in the rain, because in those low-speed uh, tracks and those low-speed things, they're not well-developed. Right. So they had to make honest choices because they don't have a, an extra 100 million euro that on even on the surface my back of my envelope math here says that red bull is ahead of them in mm-hmm. and that's if they start with the same pool of money and they don't start with the same pool of money and assuming that they don't have a newie and they assuming they don't have a newie <laughs> i mean seriously you kind of you know if they really wanted to level the playing field newie would have to do the arrow for all cars across Which, everybody yeah. but okay so aside from that so here's the problem that we have. Until Red Bull, a drinks manufacturer, actually comes up with their own engine program, I don't think that they're ever going to get out of this situation that they're currently in. You know, you say that, but you know who else is a very big team with a lot of success behind them and has never design their own engine it's the one thing that they don't do mclaren mclaren designs road cars yep very successful road car business Uh, but while they have partnered with a lot of different engine manufacturers over the years from mercedes to honda to peugeot yes they did run peugeots at one time they've never ever had an engine development program even in their for their road cars they do not build engines yeah and they've had a ton of success and red bull is not without success either yeah but i think that if you really want to carry it to the next level maybe in modern formula one because yeah you know mclaren's been around for a long time they have been around for a long time but I don't see them sitting in a position. Now, keep in mind, if the partnership with Honda had worked well mm-hmm. in year one, and I have to believe, just as a side note, that they're going to pull it together and Honda and McLaren are going to work out whatever it is that's going on. 
and they're going to figure out what's wrong and they're going to start to solve for it. And it may not be next year. It may be some thing. The, the, the true question is, do they work that out before Honda's board and Honda's management loses patience? And I think that that's the big question. Because that, that's the real risk there. Honda has been flighty in Formula One before when they don't have the success that they want to have and they walked into it now and now you're talking a major rule change on top of it, which is that much more money that is now down the drain. Right. At some point, Honda may get upset and pull the plug. But I don't know if in modern Formula One you can really achieve total dominance without having a full-on program without being a works team without being a works team and i think the more that bernie and jean todd talk and the more that we hear from them that that's what they think that they want to go to is that you're going to have a works championship and a customer championship and it's going to become a two-tiered system that shouldn't be a two-tiered system yeah, I think that'll kill the sport. And I'm not ready to hear funeral bells for it yet. Okay. Well, on that cheery note, do we want to talk about Brazil first and then Lewis's escapades or Lewis's escapades exca- and then Brazil? Oh, let's get Lewis out of the way. Okay. Well, Obviously, Lewis is enjoying the fruits of his success. This is the portion of our show that we wish that we could have air quotes going for most of the next little bit, right? He, no, I think he, he is definitely enjoying it. Oh, he is? He, he has definitely decided, and I think that's why we're seeing the performances from Lewis that we're seeing right now. He has definitely decided f- that the pressure is now off. Oh, yeah. He has achieved the world championship. And Lewis is one that he has known that when, when he is, as much as he does the partying and he does the socializing, he also would maintain during the season a fairly strict training regimen. I think just from what we've heard coming out of Mexico, he's not maintaining that regimen. I think he stayed in Mexico for about five extra days to party. It wasn't all party, but yes, he stayed in Mexico for four or five extra days. Some of that was promotional stuff. Some of it was social and entertainment of his own right. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what he said was that he flew into Mexico the Wednesday before the race and left the Friday after the race and then went home to deal with his mother's 60th birthday party which was apparently a whole big shinding in its own right. Mm -hmm. And throughout that other time, there may have been additional partying that was going on on top of it. Oh, Uh, and he had a fever. Well, ultimately, this whole thing culminated in sometime earlier this week. And it's not exactly clear when this happened, other than at 3 a.m. He was involved in an incident in his Pagani Zonda impacting with a stationary vehicle correct that's all we know as he says it's not anybody's business even though that's what he's told us i've heard reports of him being fatigued well air quotes 
sure, 3 a.m. in Monaco. We've heard that he had a fever, air quotes. Well, that's what delay, he says delayed his uh, departure to uh, Sao Paulo. He delayed it 24 hours. He has said in his own words in his column on the BBC that he has not been sleeping and he was concerned he would not be able to sleep, but he slept on the plane and he slept at some other point and he slept a lot now. I'm sure he's sleeping off a lot too. Um, And I do have to give points for my favorite line about the whole situation. Was it Alan McNish that said it or James Allen that he was, that he felt very sorry for Lewis for well, having James Allen having an accident in his two million pound supercar. That his I, heart bled for the man. Yes, yeah, so I was. I was going to say when James said this, I'm pretty sure he had his own set of air quotes up. <laughs> he was. He was very saddened for Lewis. Yeah. That he does win, win points for the best line of the day. But I, I think it, it is pretty clear that um, Lewis has definitely. He's done. He's done for the season. He's, he, he's relaxing a bit. And you know it's funny because Stewart, Stewart, um, said. Because he's always maintained that Lewis was a little too aggressive on the track. Oh, Sir Jackie Stewart. Sir Jackie. Okay. Um, he's a little too aggressive, and he's pushing a little too hard. And he made the comment when he won the third time, mm-hmm. which broke Jackie's record. Mm-hmm. It tied him for three titles from a Brit, yes. but broke it because he had the back-to-back that Jackie never had. Mm-hmm. Um, he made the comment that maybe... Lewis could relax a little and become faster by slowing down. And I, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but Jackie made a lot I, of yeah, sense I, about I, that. I don't think that's quite what Lewis is doing. I don't think that we've hit that. I think that he's, I think he's done for the season. I really do. I think that he's lost his focus, and I don't think he's going to win another uh, race this year. And you combine that with now all of a sudden Nico Rosberg has found pace and found aggression that he has not had. Right. Which, yeah, way to come on strong at the completely wrong time. Well, that's Nico. So, stats. Any Masas? We actually do have a Masa stat. A Masa Courtesy, our our first (laughs) stats are some general Brazil with a couple of Grand Prix stuff from our from the folks at Williams. Okay. And the first one is, in fact, a Massa stat. Ah. Felipe Massa, and he did this in 2006 and in 2008, he is one of five Brazilian drivers to win their home Grand Prix, along with Emerson Fittipaldi, who did it in 73-74, Carlos Pace, who the current uh, circuit is named after. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did it in 1975. Nelson Piquet did it in 83 and 86. And of course, Ayrton Senna did it in 91 and 93. After, as we heard the BBC tell us, I don't know if NBC has done it, that eight years, eight years before Ayrton, Ayrton Senna finally won his first uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. And um, Lewis Hamilton, who is worships at the feet of Ayrton, um has not has not and this is his ninth attempt at that today as we record so as i mentioned 
The Autodromo Jose Carlos Pache is named after the Sao Paulo driver who started 72 Grand Prix between 72 and 77 and took his only F1 win at the circuit. Oh, wow. His only win. His only win. Rio 2016 will be the first time a South American country has hosted the Olympic Games. Not without controversy. Sao Paulo set a traffic congestion record on November 15, 2013 with 192 miles of queues in the city during the evening rush hour. That's something I'm sure they are very, very proud of. Oh, I'm sure. This one, this one is pretty cool. Did you know that Rio de Janeiro was the capital of Portugal from 1808 to 1821, making it the only European capital city outside of Europe? I did not know that. <laughs> but that's very, very interesting. Now, I don't know why Rio was the capital of Portugal for almost 20 years. Well, 15 years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sort that one out. Something tells me that the king liked Rio better than Portugal, and that's yeah. where he was. <laughs> so Brazil borders every other South American nation barring Ecuador and Chile and makes up 47% of the South American continent. And now from the BBC. Mm-hmm. Some some other fun stats. So the first Brazilian GP was in 1973. Yes. The current circuit distance, because apparently it's about half the size it used to be. Same parcel of land, which is very small and compact. It used to be about twice the, the length. I just found this out. They have shortened the circuit. and You can see peaks of the old circuit if you look really close. Uh, but it is now 4.309 kilometers. The race lap record is 1 minute 11 seconds, uh, 1 minute 11.473 seconds, set by Juan Pablo Montoya in a Williams in 2004. Last year, mm-hmm. Nico Rosberg was within he a got tenth close. or two tenths of the race record. Yes, it's a possible we could see a new race lap record this year. And the circuit, 71 laps. So, did you know that a rhinoceros won election to the city council in 1959 after students printed 200,000 ballots with her name on them? (laughs) Three million Brazilians, or or, well, three million people, I should say, attended the funeral of three-time world champion Ayrton Senna in Sao Paulo. The production and sale of foie gras is banned in Sao Paulo. The evening backups in and out of the city extend for up to 183 miles, which, by the way, is seven miles short of the Brazilian Grand Prix distance. (laughs) Wow. As we mentioned, Lewis has yet to win the Brazilian Grand Prix after eight attempts. However, he did clinch his first world title at Interlagos in 2008, and that is one of these races and one of these results that— it very historic in, in, in the way it played out. What happened was he was neck and neck with Felipe Massa for the championship. Uh, 
mm-hmm. Felipe Massa held the world championship for about 15 seconds. Right, because Massa won the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix. He won the race, and if it wasn't for um, Lewis passing, I believe it was oh, the Russian with a T. Passed him on the last turn to move up into fifth place. That gave Lewis enough points to take the win. You're going to go look it up now, aren't you? In the book. I'm looking at the book. Hang on. Timo Glock. That's who he passed. You're exactly right. <laughs> um, I had to remember. The final showdown, Massa needing a home victory, Hamilton P5 or better. Massa duly won superbly, whereas McLaren chose an ultra-conservative strategy that appeared to backfire badly when rain caused a late-race switch to wets for all but the Toyotas. With the three laps to go, Vettel overtook Hamilton, demoting him to a championship-losing P6. Unable to retake Vettel, McLaren had blown it, but on the final corner in the last breathtaking lap, Lewis overtook Timo Glock for P5. The Toyotas now scrambling on their dry tires gamble to deny Massa and win the title by a single point. Television provided unforgettable human images. Felipe's father, euphoric one moment, frozen in disbelief the next, and his son, dignified disappointment in defeat. That yeah. just gives you chills. A, a lot of video of the Ferrari team celebrating the minute that Felipe crossed the line, followed by the, uh, watching that the wave of disappointment as they saw, realized and got the results of what happened and where Lewis ended up and how it slipped away. It looks like he was the world champion for approximately 38.9 seconds. 38.9 seconds. I was close. So other we've got a few more pieces here the city reportedly has more pizzerias than any city worldwide okay um sao paulo is home to 18 million people and is the world's third largest city most wins by driver with six is alan prost four michael schumacher and three is carlos rudiman most wins by team 12 for mclaren 10 ferrari and six for Williams. Wow. That's a lot. Twelve, huh? Yeah. For a team in ninth. Well, again, <laughs> there was a time. <laughs> and, you know, remember, 2012, which also happens to be the last time that a McLaren won a race, was also Jensen Button's last win. I understand In a McLaren. That. I understand that. In that race also was uh, a stunning race, fascinating to watch. Where again, the title came down to the race to to the last race of the season, with uh, Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso duking it out, and Vettel ending up what was it, turn two or turn three, backwards, mm-hmm. rolling down the hill. <laughs> yep. Ah, but but now- this year. This year. Now, one thing to remember, Interlagos, mm-hmm. part of the name of the track, does mean between the lakes. Yes. And that means that the weather can be tropical. I was going in to all say. In sense an, of the word. An integral part of the race. 
apparently, and I remember this stat from years ago, and I don't think you have the exact number, so I'm going to make it up. Um, but I believe it was Eddie Jordan had made the comment that rain has played a part of every major Brazilian race Grand Prix, every Grand Prix for like most of its time. I mean, it's it's like it's rained there every weekend and it's expected to and it will be blue skies and it will rain. Yeah, I don't know if it was everyone, but it is frequently an issue. And frequently goes and completely changes things around. Because of the rain, you have results like, oh, Nico Hulkenberg, who will end up leading the race for 12 or 13 laps because of the way things have shaken out and the way he drives and all of that. Um, and oddball spinouts and all the other fun stuff that goes with rain. Right. But going to this year. Yes. Yeah, again, with like we said, it looks like Lewis has stepped back a little bit. Now, his, his last lap of qualifying was a fa- blisteringly fast and still not fast enough. Well, one of the things that they said on the commentary was that he's having a really hard time putting it together in Sector 1. He was a tenth behind in Sector 1. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say he was still behind in Sector 2. He pull whatever he did in magic happened in sector three um he wound up only being eight one thousandths behind nico it was something crazy like that it was close now apparently that is like light years further back than it was last year where he was only three one thousandths yeah so, I mean, obviously, Lewis is completely off his form. I mean, that's the only way to say it. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put that. He's just completely lost it. Um, but the reality is he's having a hard time in Sector 1. Frankly, I don't think his head's in the game. And I won't be surprised if we end up with a Rosberg-Hamilton 1-2. I think it's distinctly possible at this point. Um, the other bit of interest, I think, is the best way to describe it. Actually, there were two. Um, one was the bizarre blocking incident between NASA and Massa. The two Felipe's. I don't know what was going on there. The, the um, Felipe's. Yes, the Felipe's getting themselves in a little bit of a tangle. And, Have you and heard any... the nice little wave that, that Felipe did as he went by. It wasn't quite the, dude, how's it going? You know, it, was, it was more of the what the... Yeah. Um, have you heard whether or not there's been a penalty to Nasser for the Massa? I have not yet checked. I, I have not checked because I know that the race has happened and I didn't want to find out. But I did want to mention that they were investigating. I just hadn't heard anything. Yeah, I I would be surprised if penalties were not handed out for that one. Um, but the other bit of note was... And it's not often you can go and associate Fernando Alonso with antics, but that was the best way to describe it, is the antics of the McLaren drivers. <laughs> for, for starters, and, and I, I, I don't understand how this could have happened, but issues going on with Fernando's car that were described as loose parts in the back of the car. He had loose bits. Okay, you're about to go take this car on a track at 200-some-odd miles an hour with 
19 other cars also running at 200 some odd miles an hour and you hear oh yeah you need to wait because we have some loose bits in the back of the car thank you no <laughs> he did not make it around a full lap before he was told he immediately needed to pull over and apparently he took a, it took a long time for him to take the recovery vehicle back to his pit. Well, he he found a really good place to pull off and apparently a marshal with a really nice camp chair for him to hang out on <laughs> and had a great view in his little zen-like moment at the top of the hill watching qualifying. And Arguably a, a better seat than anybody else at the stadium. And getting a suntan. Yeah. I think he waved at the cameras at one point. He winked at the camera. Because <laughs> he knew how this was playing out. He was winking at the camera. <laughs> well, his compatriot at McLaren also did not make it out of Q1. But at least he participated in Q1. Yes, he did. So then the McLaren boys decided that this was the only opportunity that they were going to get all season to get on the podium. <laughs> so they headed up there for a quick photo op during Q2. Right. <laughs> Selfies are all around. Hey, you know something? Sometimes you just need to know what it feels like to stand on top of the podium. And I'm betting that Fernando and Jensen both were missing that feeling. Okay, let's think about this. We have two former world champions who felt the need to sneak onto the podium because there was no other way they were going to get on it. Ron Dennis, are you listening? I think he's uh, probably very well aware of the displeasure over that fact. Yeah. So that was really all the fun and excitement worth mentioning from qualifying. It was a fairly run-of-the-mill qualifying i thought other than roman grosjean and his mysterious spin yes there were rumors and i haven't seen a whole lot of reporting on it i had heard talk earlier in the week around thursday that once again lotus was locked out of not their hospitality this time but their garage and that um security officers were preventing the team from accessing uh their shipping crates and unpacking everything Obviously, they managed to get everything out and dealt with, but I have not seen any follow-up or any other mention to it. All that they would say it was that it was a commercial issue. Because hmm, there was nothing mentioned about it in yesterday's lead-up. Yeah, and that was odd. Maldonado, however, crashing with crasher pants, <laughs> um, did not make it out of Q1 also. Yeah, I don't know why that is, especially considering how well I was gonna Roman say was running. Grosjean did very, very well, and in comparison, his teammate, not so much. But we're keeping him for next year. Oh, yay, crashy. Rumor has it that we will see an announcement from Renault uh, in or around Abu Dhabi weekend. Very interesting. I think we're going to find out a lot at Abu Dhabi. That's the hope, because uh, we are rapidly coming to the end of the season here, much like we are rapidly coming to the end of the show. I think we are at the end of the show. We are. See, there are the credits. They're about to roll. So on that note, remember you can, uh, you know, give us some feedback, some comments, whether it's on iTunes. We want to hear from you. We, I mean, Phil giving his... Uh, his 70s. own 70s analogy to last week's show as it went all over the place. Um, over on Facebook page, 
or over on the website at www.thebloakandabird.com. And on that, we'll call it a show.